Welcome to Legal Ethics in the News, a podcast series from the New York City Bar Association featuring Stephen Gillers and Barbara S. Gillers discussing legal ethics issues making headlines in the legal or mainstream media. Stephen is the Hallahu Root Professor of Law, and Barbara is an adjunct professor of law both at New York University School of Law. In this episode, New York's new disciplinary rule against harassment and discrimination in law practice. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the city bar. Here are Barbara Gillers and Stephen Gillers. Hi, I'm Barbara Gillers. I'm Stephen Gillers. This is our podcast, Legal Ethics in the News. About every few weeks, we'll discuss current legal ethics issues in the news. The issues may come from a bar ethics opinion, a court case, a story in the legal or popular press, or a suggestion from you. You can send suggestions to this address, legalethicspodcast at nycbar.org. We'll post some of the sources we mention in our podcast or citations to them on the City Bar site accompanying the podcast. You can also get our podcasts wherever you get your other podcasts, like Google, Spotify, Apple, or elsewhere. For this, our 17th podcast, we discuss the adoption by the New York courts of an important amendment to Disciplinary Rule 8.4G. Rule 8.4G describes harassing or discriminatory conduct in the practice of law that will subject a lawyer to discipline. Before the recent amendment, which happened in June and was effective immediately, New York Rule 8.4G was limited to a prohibition on discrimination in the practice of law based on any number of statuses, including race, sex, ethnicity, disability, and sexual orientation, among others. But the discrimination had to be unlawful, meaning it had to violate state, local, or federal law, perhaps a law on public accommodation. The old Rule 8.4G suffered from two flaws that made it practically useless. First, if there was a tribunal tribunal available to hear a timely complaint, the complainant had to go there first. In other words, there was an exhaustion of remedies requirement. And exhaustion could take a great deal of time, even years. Furthermore, a person who is the victim of unlawful discrimination may not wish to file a complaint with with, say, the EEOC or a state agency. Yeah, that entails a commitment of time that could continue for months or years and possibly a need for counsel. And that person may have had no significant damages making an agency or court complaint useless as a practical matter. So New York really had no ethics rule targeting discrimination in law practice as a practical matter. The second flaw in the old New York rule was that it did not include harassment, which has been a serious, persistent problem. The old New York rule appears on the list of sources that accompanies this podcast.
In 2016, the ABA adopted rule 8.4G for its model rules of professional conduct. Previously, the model rules had no version of 8.4G. None. It had only a comment adopted in 1998 after years of debate and resistance to any rule. Like the old New York rule, the comment was useless. It prohibited bias and prejudice in the course of representing a client through words or conduct. But only if the words or conduct were prejudicial to the administration of justice. And since all conduct prejudicial to the administration of justice was already forbidden under a black letter rule, this comment added nothing. It, it was redundant, but that's all the ABA offered for 18 more years. In addition, the comment did not identify harassment as a problem, which it truly is. And the comment forbade the conduct only, quote, in the representation of a client, close quote, which is far narrower than, quote, in the practice of law, close quote. It is true that a court faced with bad behavior in the practice of law could look to general rules as a basis for a sanction. If the conduct occurred in litigation, the court could deem it prejudicial to the administration of justice. The term administration of justice, of course, has mostly been limited to court-related conduct. Some states including New York, do retain a provision in their rules forbidding conduct that reflects adversely on a lawyer's fitness. But the question is not only whether there are other rules available to sanction lawyers who, for example, refer to an opposing female lawyer using an anatomical term or tell an Hispanic lawyer to go back to Puerto Rico. Both occurred in New York and Florida, respectively, and both resulted in discipline. But it is also important that the profession make a clear statement to lawyers about the kind of conduct that is expressly forbidden. And not only to lawyers, but also to the public about the kinds of conduct that will not be tolerated in the practice of law. The one time before 2016, of which we are aware, when a court reversed discipline for speech that it said could be sanctioned occurred because there was no rule giving the lawyer notice of what was forbidden. So that takes us to 2016. The ABA Committee on Ethics and Professional Responsibility recommended that the ABA adopt the current Rule 8.4G. And the ABA House of Delegates did adopt the rule in 2016 by a voice vote and overwhelmingly quite a reversal. The committee has since explained when the rule would and would not apply using several hypotheticals. See, for example, ABA Opinion 493 issued in July of 2020 and which is cited in the materials accompanying this podcast. The text of ABA Rule 8.4G is also included in the materials accompanying the podcast. 
But what looked like a culmination in 2016, the end of the 8.4G wars, has instead turned out to be the start of new battles as lawyers and public officials in various states debate whether their state should adopt the rule or something like it. When ABA Rule 8.4G was adopted, about half the states had a provision addressing some or all of the behavior the rule describes, but they varied in breadth. Some provisions were quite weak. Thereafter, some states adopted stronger versions of the rule, even equivalents or near equivalents to the ABA rule. There are, there are too many variations for us to categorize here, but the ABA does have a website that will tell you your, your state at each state's version of all of Rule 8.4, including 8.4G. The ABA website is cited in the materials that accompany this podcast. Some states put their version of the rule elsewhere in their ethics rules, not only in 8.4. Rule 8.4G has, almost immediately, run into stiff opposition from those who consider it an unconstitutional intrusion on the rights of lawyers under the free exercise of religion and the free speech clauses of the First Amendment. From public comments before and after adoption of the rule, the religious objectors appeared to want to be able to be free, based on their religious beliefs, to refuse to represent members of the LGBTQ community, either categorically or in certain kinds of matters. Like, for example, drafting a prenuptial agreement between two men or two women, assisting a same-sex married couple in adopting a child. But, but the amendments they proposed, the language they proposed, were broad enough to allow lawyers to reject clients in any matter on religious grounds. Nor were the proposed amendments limited to religious opposition to LGBTQ rights. The proposed language would permit a lawyer to refuse to help an interracial couple adopt a child. Those who objected on free speech grounds alleged that the rule failed to give adequate notice of what was forbidden, that the rule had a chilling effect, that the rule was overbroad, and or that the rule discriminated based on viewpoint. Defenders of the rule have pointed out that the proposed rule did not apply to a lawyer's speech outside law practice. Further, they argued, the model rules and the rules in all U.S. jurisdictions have many provisions limiting speech in the practice of law. For example, let's just give a few examples. Rule 1.6a and 1.9c forbid lawyers from revealing confidential information about a client and a former client. Rule 3.4e limits what a lawyer may say or, quote, allude to at trial. And Rule 3.4f forbids lawyers from asking most witnesses not to cooperate with an adversary. Rule 3.5 restricts the freedom of lawyers to, quote, communicate with a juror 
or prospective juror after discharge of the jury, close quote. And there are more. Rule 3.6 limits what a lawyer associated with a matter before a tribunal may say to the media. Rule 4.2 forbids certain communications with another lawyer's client. <laughs> Rule 4.4a forbids a lawyer in, quote, representing a client to use means that have no substantial purpose other than to embarrass a third person. Rule 8.2a says lawyers may not knowingly or with reckless disregard make certain false statements about judges and judicial candidates, courts using an objective standard of what a reasonable lawyer would or should know have upheld Rule 8.2a. And Rule 8.4h present in New York and other states, forbids conduct that adversely reflects on a lawyer's fitness and, quote, conduct has been held to include speech. Each of these rules limits speech to protect the compelling state interest in the administration of justice, including, but not only, in the courts. Division over Rule 8.4G on speech grounds appears to have fallen largely along a left-right, red-state-blue-state axis. The materials accompanying this podcast cite a Law Journal article by one of us written shortly after the ABA adopted Rule 8.4G. We do this because if you want to get into the academic and professional articles on the much debated issues here, you should key cite that article. You will find more than 80 articles on the issues, which may then lead to yet others. And so how, how have the courts ruled, you may ask? That question brings us to the litigation in Pennsylvania. It is likely to lead to the first federal appellate ruling. We will then examine the New York rule. Given the challenges to these rules elsewhere, we think one is likely in New York. So Pennsylvania adopted a version of 8.4G with modifications. A lawyer challenged it as a violation of the First Amendment's speech clause, and a district court judge upheld the challenge. He declared the entire rule unconstitutional on its face and enjoined its enforcement. The Pennsylvania Disciplinary Board filed an appeal in the Third Circuit, but then withdrew its appeal and promulgated a new version of the rule. Its text is on the materials accompanying this podcast. Then the same lawyer challenged the new rule, and the same judge again declared it facially unconstitutional and preliminarily enjoined its enforcement. The case is Greenberg versus Goodrich, 2022 Westlaw, 874953. As we've mentioned, it's district court in Pennsylvania. Specifically, the court held that the rule constituted viewpoint-based discrimination in violation of the First Amendment. 
The rule did not survive strict scrutiny applicable to content-based regulation of speech, said the court. The rule was unconstitutionally overbroad in violation of the First Amendment and... The rule was unconstitutionally vague in violation of the 14th Amendment. Few rules have had so many problems as this one. (laughs) The state has appealed again, and the case is now before the Third Circuit, where it is likely to be argued in the fall. Many amici are expected. The two of us will file an amicus brief urging reversal. The state has retained Williams and Connolly. The the plaintiff, Zachary Greenberg, who was admitted to the Pennsylvania Bar in 2019, has added the Hamilton Law Institute to his legal team. So... What did Zachary Greenberg allege in his second complaint? What gave him standing to mount a facial challenge to the rule in all circumstances? We think it's worth quoting the factual basis for standing from the court's opinion. Quote, Mr. Greenberg has written and spoken against banning hate speech on university campuses and campaign finance speech restrictions. Second, for example, said the court, Mr. Greenberg spoke at a CLE in Pennsylvania on his interpretation of the legal limits of a university's power to punish students for online expression deemed offensive or prejudice. Quote, Mr. Greenberg expects to continue speaking on issues such as Title IX's effect on due process rights of individuals accused of sexual assault, university policies on misconduct, professional academic freedom, religious freedom on campuses, and others. And finally, said the court, quote, Mr. Greenberg considers these topics to be polarizing and fears that in today's climate he could be subject to professional disciplinary process or sanction if his speech is perceived to violate the rule, end quote. So just to be clear, this is about speech at a CLE. Rule 8.4G only applies to speech in the practice of law, which includes speeches at a CLE. But a CLE is not a rally. It is a judicially defined event at which lawyers are able to earn credits that are approved by the CLE rules and required to maintain their licenses. CLEs for lawyers are part of a court's regulation of the profession. So on what basis does Mr. Greenberg fear that his future CLE presentations can lead to professional discipline? What what gives him the right to claim that that is likely to happen? We quote again. Quote. Mr. Greenberg supports his concerns that his speech will be either chilled or subject to Rule 8.4G's disciplinary process with numerous examples of public outcry and investigation after speakers in similar situations expressed information related to controversial topics. For example, wrote the court, in 2013, Judge Edith Jones of the Fifth Circuit spoke at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and stated that 
members of certain racial groups commit crimes at rates disproportionate to their population, to which an attorney, among others, filed an ethics complaint alleging racial bias that resulted in a nearly two-year process of investigation. The court said in another example, quote, in 2020, Professor Helen Alvare of George Mason University School of Law was accused of homophobic bias by Duke University School of Law students after supporting religious freedom accommodation laws and writing amicus briefs opposing gay marriage in an effort by the law students to disinvite the speaker from coming to the university. And then the court said, Mr. Greenberg intends to continue speaking at CLE presentations and fears that his own discussion of, quote, controversial subjects will expose him to such investigation or discipline. The state did challenge Greenberg's standing, including through submission from the chief of the Office of Disciplinary Counsel, or ODC. He stated, quote, ODC does not interpret Rule 8.4G as prohibiting general discussions of case law or controversial positions or ideas, and that ODC would not pursue discipline on this basis, end quote. The court held that this representation was insufficient to reduce the alleged chilling effect because the ODC could always change its mind, and in the court's view, the text of the rule would allow it to do so. It, it was apparently of no consequence at all to the court that no lawyer in America has ever been disciplined anywhere for the kind of silly speeches Greenberg says he is chilled from giving. Now, of course, our podcast is about legal ethics, not constitutional law, but we identify the case to make you aware of an important development very much in the news, in the field of legal ethics. Eventually, we'll have a Third Circuit opinion, which is likely to be influential nationwide. We'll then report back. Now, at the opposite end of the spectrum from the weak or no rule, on the one hand in some states, is the new New York rule. In June of 2022, about a year after asking the public for comment on a new Rule 8.4G, the four presiding justices of the four appellate divisions adopted a rule that puts New York at the very forefront of the effort to eliminate harassment, including sexual harassment, in the practice of law. The new rule also addresses discrimination, but As in the old rule, discrimination must be unlawful. Omitted is any requirement that persons who believe they have suffered unlawful discrimination in law practice must first exhaust other remedies. Yes, that's an important uh, change, but it is on harassment that the new rule is most consequential. Remember, the old rule did not even mention harassment. We quote the new rule in full in the materials accompanying this podcast. 
there will be comments eventually, but in New York, comments are not promulgated or approved by the courts. Rather, the state bar writes the comments. The new rules language on harassment states, harassment for purposes of this rule means physical contact, verbal conduct, and or nonverbal conduct such as gestures or facial expressions that is A, directed at an individual or specific individuals, and B, derogatory or demeaning, end quote. And the rule then says, quote, conduct that a reasonable person would consider as petty slights or trivial inconveniences does not rise to the level of harassment under this rule, end quote. The rule defines conduct in the practice of law because the rule does not apply outside the practice of law. Quote, conduct in the practice of law includes A, representing clients, B, interacting with witnesses, co-workers, court personnel, lawyers, and others while engaging in the practice of law, and C, operating or managing a law firm or law practice, end quote. On the issue that is now before the Third Circuit, namely speeches at CLEs, the new rule says, quote, this rule does not limit the ability of a lawyer or, or law firm to, consistent with these rules, express views on matters of public concern in the context of teaching, public speeches, continuing legal education programs, or other forms of public advocacy or education, or in any other form of written or oral speech protected by the United States Constitution or the New York State Constitution, end quote. The state bar had urged the judges to limit harassment only to comments that were severe or pervasive. The state bar apparently took the phrase, quote, severe or pervasive, close quote, from Title VII case law, which adopts it as a matter of statutory interpretation, not because of First Amendment considerations. Title VII's objective is to protect employees in their workplace. It is not to protect the credibility or reputation of the workplace itself. Rule 8.4G, on the other hand, aims to protect the reputation and credibility of the administration of our justice system, as well as to protect those who come into contact with it. We submitted a comment urging the court not to modify harassment by requiring that the words or conduct be severe or pervasive. So, where are we in the effort to address discrimination and harassment in law practice? We're in the middle of it, or maybe maybe just the start. We await the Third Circuit's ruling and inevitably decisions from other courts. So far, victories have been few but steady. That may change. But in what direction? That's our podcast for today. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you learned something, and thanks for listening. 
Thank you for listening to this New York City Bar Association podcast. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Find citations and other materials mentioned in this podcast at the program's page at nycbar.org slash podcasts. Have you seen or heard a topic in the news that you think the Gillers should consider covering? Email legalethicspodcast at nycbar.org. The Gillers do not provide ethics advice to individual lawyers. Lawyers admitted to practice in New York with a question about their own prospective conduct under the New York rules may receive informational guidance by calling the City Bar's Ethics Hotline at 212-382-6663. Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on our website at nycbar.org podcasts. This podcast was recorded on July 7th, 2022, and produced by Eric Friedman and Alex Cardaris.